As a small business owner, have you ever felt overwhelmed by the pressure of choosing the right hire or leading a team? Or have you ever found yourself tolerating a bad hire because you fear trying and failing again as you repeat the hiring process? If so, you're not alone and you are in the right place. Welcome to the Growing Your Team podcast. The Growing Your Team podcast teaches business owners like you to expand your unique business by teaching you to master the hiring and team management process. Hiring and managing a team does not have to be a challenge. You just have to learn to do it right. And the Growing Your Team podcast teaches you how to become a confident leader who hires right every single time. Now, let's jump into the show where each episode, you will learn tips on how to identify what type of help you need on your team, how to source amazing candidates, how to conduct interviews that lead you to your idea team member, how to onboard successfully, and how to lead every person in your business so you have a team of rock stars who you are happy to pay every single paycheck. So let's jump in and teach you how to hire like a pro. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Bob Jordan. Bob is the CEO of Interim Execs, which matches top executives with companies around the world. Based on research with thousands of leaders and companies, he and Olivia Wagner wrote Right Leaders, Right Time, Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career and Company, and have launched the FAB Leadership Assessment, a free assessment at rightleader.com designed to help leaders and organizations perform better. Bob also authored How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America, and helped publish Start With No, Jim Camp's bestseller on negotiation. Today, we're talking about the four leadership styles, what they are, and how people in these styles really like to operate. As the leader of your organization, you most definitely identify with one of these four styles. Knowing which one could help you really figure out, one, what type of support you need in your organization so that way your organization thrives, and two, when it might be the right time to exit your organization. Because while we don't talk about it specifically with small businesses in this conversation, there is a particular leadership style that likes to build ideas, but then isn't so happy or isn't optimized or isn't performing at their best once things are stabilized. So if that's you, you might be the type of leader who builds a team, builds a company, and either sells it or has someone else run that organization when you go on to the next idea. So listen to see what type of leader you are, what type of leaders you should be bringing into your organization, and also if you currently have leaders within your organization, how to make sure that they are in the right role or being given the right freedoms in your organization within their role to really operate at their best. So let's jump into the conversation. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thanks, Jamie. It's great to be with you. Yes. I am am a little jealous because I'm in Chicago and 
you're in St. Petersburg and, and we are recording this in the winter. So I, I don't know if I need to say any more. <laughs> yes, it is nice and sunny here. I'm sure a few degrees warmer than Chicago today. Yeah, yeah, just a bit. Yes. Hopefully by the time this airs, you guys will have warmed up a little bit. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, when's it going to air? You know, because the Midwest, it's just, you know, you never know. But yes, you never know. I'm from originally the Rochester, New York area. So I know all about springtime snow. My sister got married on, I think, believe it was, uh, May, early May and years and years and years ago. And it snowed on her wedding day, beginning of May. So, you know, it's, yeah. It's Rochester, you, you paid know. your dues. You paid your dues. It's okay. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, let's jump in and get started today. Before we get into today's, today's conversation, tell me a little bit about you and your business. Thanks, Jamie. So, uh, I run a company, I'm one of the partners at a company called Interim Execs, and we are a matchmaker around the world, uh, organizations that have leadership needs that are project-based, uh, and that's become its own career calling. And it's because of that work, uh, we've, we've had about 7,000 executives uh, show up on our proverbial doorstep. That's a line, Jamie, if it was outside your office, that'd be about four miles long. Um, so, so as a result of that, uh, 7,000 executives, 50 countries, um, we've had a lot of experience um, uh, getting to observe uh, leaders. And that led us to some conclusions, um, a not so good conclusion about the majority, as well as seeing uh, incredible leaders, the top two, 3%, uh, and something we observe we call leadership style. And that led us to writing a book called Right Leader, Right Time, which I think we're going to be talking about. Yes, yes, so we're going to be digging a lot into that. And I am so curious to hear more about these leadership styles that you discovered when you're going through this. And I, I feel like as someone who started their career in corporate, grew up in the corporate ladder and everything there, I think leadership in corporate is such an interesting thing because most people get promoted into leadership because they're good at what they do. And typically that role that they get promoted into the first leadership role has nothing to do with leadership, but they're good at what they do. So that it's like, Hey, let's move to the next step to become a leader. And I know from experience, there's all different types of leaders out there from like people that I reported to and not all companies. I feel like focus on helping people really develop those leadership skills. And sometimes it's still more like, yeah, we're going to reward you because of the other work that you're doing. And sometimes the leadership skills just lack. So I oh, I love, love, love that there's so many organizations that are out there helping people really with their leadership skills and helping people become better leaders. And I really just wish more people would take advantage of that or really finding out your leadership style and how to use that to be effective in the workplace. You are so right. And, you know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking it's even harder now because you would think, oh, you know, we evolve and things always get better. And it's like, no, the, the more technology actually drives uh, most industries, there's a thinking because, you know, a lot of leaders are engineers and there's a lot of thinking in corporations, which is we're going to measure and improve performance of everyone, including our own leaders. And we're gonna do it through technology and less human intervention and therefore less nurturing, mentoring, 
uh, and it's not good. That doesn't actually end up uh, producing better leaders. Now, and if you want to compound it, uh, look at AI. I mean, as you and I are recording this, uh, ChatGPT just came out with the latest uh, generation, GPT-4. And so now this is, this is going to be a shiny new toy um, that is going to affect pretty much every industry, both externally how they face their markets, as well as internally how they look at their teams. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's so much out there with with technology. And I'm a big like data person. So I do know a lot of that data and metrics and stuff is important. But I think if you look at that in a silo, a team could be really good at producing, but it doesn't mean that they're producing at their optimal level or that there is good synergy in the team, or that they they feel connected and confident of their leader, or that the leader is just is actually, are they actually leading the team or do they just have really good people that are overcoming bad leadership? So yeah, there's a lot of things like technology is not going to get you there. It's still that that people interaction is always going to be a part of business. Stephen Covey, the, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he had a joke that he said, you've got this team and they're in the jungle and they're really great at sharpening machetes and chopping through the jungle and, and they're just, they're going crazy and, but you can't see through the jungle and somebody climbs up a tree and they yell down, you're going the wrong way. And from below, someone yells up and says, shut up, we're making progress. That is, that is a great story. It's like one of those things, like if you're too far into things, sometimes you're just going, going, going. And you don't realize you're going the right direction because you see that you're making progress. It's just not the progress that you should be making. Yeah. You know, the one of the most recent issues of uh, Harvard Business Review, the whole thing is, is, you know, you hear you think scholarly, scientific. It's all about uh, people being busy, but not actually getting a whole lot done. Yes, yes, that, that's something I talk, could talk about, but all day. But I want to make sure we talk about these leadership styles, because what are they? Because I think you said there's, a, I think before, there's four leadership styles that you really identified. So tell us more about these. The four styles are, we label them fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. Fixer, artist, builder, strategist, F-A-B-S. And so in the book, in a lot of cases, we refer to it as FABs or FABs leadership styles. There's also an assessment coming out. It's a free three-minute tool if anybody wants to take it, and it's called FABS Leadership Assessment. So if you want, we can go through, you want to go through each of them? Yes, let's go through each one. Based on just the titles, I think I know where I am, but I want to see, like, once you describe them, if I would still place myself there. Great. Can't wait to hear what style you are. So, Fixer. Fixer is the energy... Uh, this is the person who has to run into the burning building. What distinguishes Fixer is they have to keep on doing that time after time. So if you think, Jamie, like you and I, you know, we own and, and run companies and problems come up every day. But the thing is, do you get your energy off of that? So, for example, as we're recording, something happened in the world a couple months ago. It's called, you know, the, the implosion of a crypto firm called FTX. And there are over a million, you know, affected customers and it's a big blow up. And a court appointed 
a new CEO, a guy named John Ray. And it's not surprising that prior to FTX, he was at Enron. Again, after the, after the blow up, but this is a person who's a veteran fixer, a veteran person at turnaround. So fixer is the energy that needs kind of like an adrenaline rush needs to go into broken organizations, client relationships, teams, and turn them around. Would you say like, I know really we're talking about leadership styles, but if we were to, to kind of bring that down of like to other people in the organization, would people who are really good at customer service tend to be the, that fixer? Because typically they're dealing with someone when there's a problem, when there's an issue, and either that could drain you all day, or you could be like, yeah, it was a great day. I got to help 20 people solve their problems. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You know, and especially in that troubleshooting aspect. And just to be clear on the, on the styles as we're going through them, we're not trying to pigeonhole anyone and to say, you are just this. The way we look at it is that every leader, you're bringing all your capabilities to bear to be effective in your role. What we're saying is, Perhaps it's a little like DNA. You know, DNA, they're just four proteins. They're called nucleotides, but they make up all of biological life, right? Whether it's your Aunt Mary, you, you know, your dog, your cat, it's infinite variation of four proteins in DNA. And that's uh, a framework for us in a way to look at leadership style. What we have observed is, is that among exceptional leaders, they tend to have a dominant or a dominant and a secondary leadership style. And that has caused a lot of their success. Yeah. And it's like one of those things, if you look at any sort of assessment, typically there's only few things that you're measured on, like disk assessment. There's only four things in the disk assessment too, but depending on how you fall into each bucket and your combinations really shows you what your strengths and everything are. So yeah, like I could see you could have more than one of these, but it's where you thrive, that where that, that core spot is for you. Yes. And there are also cautionary examples of where you see someone moving away from really what, in the book, we love this phrase, highest and best use. And, and that when you're in that, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And when you stray from that, not so good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what's the next style? Artist. Artist is the energy that sees the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay to be molded. Artist is the energy, it's, it's the person on your team who's the renegade, the outsider. They may be a little disagreeable, but they're capable of these discontinuous leaps, this, this sense of innovation that, that never quits. So standout example in the world today, Elon Musk. We actually don't even need to say his last name, Elon. And, and this is specific to having created and grown Tesla, SpaceX, the boring company. And in his artist mode, Elon's got to be regarded as, as uh, truly incredible. If you look back to the founding of Tesla, a lot of people thought he was crazy, you know, that, that EV electric vehicles were going to take over. And that's exactly what is occurring around the world. And in some ways, you could say this is one person that caused that. The cautionary side of this is... Again, as we're recording, Jamie, Elon still owns Twitter. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be at Twitter as long, you know, Tesla and SpaceX are, are 20 year old businesses. Uh, Twitter is not um, 
a great use case for Elon, or at least not so far. Uh, or put another way, the playbook for anyone who's listening to this, who is a fixer and loves going into broken organizations and broken teams and client relationships, uh, Elon's playbook going into Twitter, that's not going to be your playbook or my playbook. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally see him as being that, that as you describe it, that artist and everything, it's that person that I, that ideas, that ideas person that's going to help see the potential, even with him, like some of his companies that are really successful, he didn't start, he didn't necessarily come up with those ideas. He just kind of like took it and ran with it. He jumped in and said, let's do, let's go with this. Let's see this better. He saw the potential and what was there and was able to take this idea and create it to a bigger idea. Massively. Yes. 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 Yeah. And I definitely will sit there and say, yep, we, we own a Tesla. We have our second EV, a different brand that's going to be delivered in a few months, but EVs are definitely taking over. I love my EV. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy that he made, made that leap in, uh, and took Tesla to the next level. All right, so let's talk about the next one, Builder, correct? Builder. Builder is an energy. Everyone loves to be a builder. We get that. We mean something a little more specific here, which is the leadership style that can take the smaller, the nascent product team service uh, company to scale, to market domination. And what you tend to see with builder-oriented leaders is there's this fixation on people, product, process. And once domination is achieved, you tend to see builders are going to want to move on, move to the next team, the next product. Uh, the mantra for builder, it really is about market dominance. It doesn't have to be world domination. You know, for example, in your city, there's a dominant real estate developer. That's builder energy, not just in the literal sense, but in the leadership sense, because they have this, this idea of dominating one particular market. Okay. Yeah, I see that. You know, it is one of those things like I know when I'm recruiting, sometimes we're, we're specifically looking for that. And I guide my clients specifically for that type of leader, because uh, sometimes they're coming in and this is a brand new position to the organization and they really need that high level person who's going to help them kind of rebuild things. I've worked with organizations where when they've gone from that startup to that really um, higher level, it's kind of like what got you here is not going to get you to that next level. So they need that person to come in and say, all right, how do we reorganize? How do we redo all this stuff? How do we change, not really change what we're providing externally, but change things internally to get to that next level. And sometimes I have to remind people is the person who's going to be really good at helping you do that is not necessarily gonna be the person who's gonna stay with you for 10 years. So sometimes you have to look at it and say, I need a builder who's going to help and do the change that I need done. And then I need to be okay when they decide that my work here is done, I'm gonna move on. And where then other organizations, they've already gone through that kind of building phase, like they're stable, they really know where they are. They're not needing that big change internally, externally or whatever it is. And when we're going through and defining that idea candidate, or we're looking at the candidates that are coming in, sometimes we're able to define and make people answer questions. It's like, that sounds good, but they have that pattern of coming in and making this massive change, doing great things for organizations, and then almost seeming like they're getting bored and moving on. So if you're looking for that stable person who's going to stay, we don't want that person. You know, 
what what you do in your work is more vitally important than ever before because well it, it's true because and i'll put it i'll put it another way personal me we couldn't have written this book 30 years ago it, it didn't the world didn't exist this way i mean we'll, we'll go through all of the styles but but this idea that you can excel within your expertise uh in business and organization that's not the way the world was organized for our parents and our grandparents our parents and our grandparents were in a much more stable, unchanging um, set of circumstances, you know, where, for example, if your parent or grandparent went to work for General Motors when they were young, what was the premise? The premise was they were going to be there their entire lives. Yeah, and that was, yeah, and that was General Electric and all, all these organizations. That was the premise. That is not the way the world is organized anymore. The way the, the world is organized now uh, take an example of Reed Hoffman, the founder of, of LinkedIn. LinkedIn, you know, the speech they uh, would give to, to new hires was essentially, look, we know this is a tour of duty for you. And so for the time that you are here, we want this to be the greatest experience for you and for us. But they're, they're acknowledging, you're probably not going to be here for the next 30 years. And for that matter, who knows if they will be either. Right. That's a radically different a form of organization and it it it's not that it is that it is worse uh it it's certainly more exciting but what it does is it allows for much more individual expression in terms of what your expertise is and that didn't exist before yeah well what you just shared reminded me of one of the clients that i worked with and they're a, a well-established nonprofit organization and so the positions internally are not going to change. They're not going to go through this massive growth. They're they're serving the community that they're going to serve. And there's there's it's not going to there's not a lot of upward mobility into inside the organization. So they kind of take that same approach. And when so when we were recruiting for them and people would say, ask the question of where's the room for growth and advancement, we would have a lot of we had the conversation around, well, internally there really isn't, but they expect that this is only a stop on your career path, that you were probably only going to be here a maximum of three years. And if you give them at least two good years, they're going to help train you while they're here. They're going to help prepare you while they're here. And they're going to help you get the connections for your next opportunity, that they're going to cheer you on when you go to that next opportunity, because the fact that they know that with the positions they have internally, most people aren't, don't want to be in these positions for the rest of their career with the people they want that are going to make the difference. So it's like, give us two to three great years. And we will cheer you on when you go to your next opportunity because that's that's who they are. So I want your help, Jamie, and I want your your listeners' help. I, I mean this that, that afterwards, um, we want to we want to hear from folks listening to this to to help me with a metaphor, okay? Because the way it used to be is that everybody saw their career and it was a ladder. This is a really simple metaphor. You climb the rungs of the ladder and it's upward and that's all very good. It's optimistic. It's positive and you know, you're going to reach the heights, right? And recently I, I saw a quote from someone and, you know, career journey is now going to be much more varied for all of us. I don't think it's a bad thing, but what this person said is, she said, it was a little more like a jungle gym. And I thought, well, that can be interesting and challenging, but the word jungle can be kind of impenetrable or dark to people. And, and, so I think there is something we're all experiencing here, and I think it's a good thing 
but it is not necessarily as linear as it used to be. What I, what I do think is that much more we're able to follow uh, a highest and best use that we each have around expertise. And that's what we're trying to get at with this model of fixer artist, builder, strategist. Yeah, that I like that, you know, while it might not be the the permanent way of saying it, kind of that jungle gym, because I I have little kids, so going to the playground and everything. And so I'm picturing a jungle gym in my mind to be like, ooh, is it? And one of the things I think is really interesting about like a, a jungle gym is sometimes the path on the jungle gym comes back to the ground before going up, like depending on how it's built. And I think that is definitely a really good, interesting picture because sometimes you have to take those in order to get to the path that's going to be your next path, you might have to take a step down. You might not be able to make a lateral move. You might have to come all the way back down to the ground to go back to school because you realize that you're really missing knowledge and skills that you need to go to the path that's your next path, that you're, that you're not stuck on one path, but how you get to the next one is looks completely different. And every person who, every child who goes and plays on a jungle gym takes a different path to get to the top. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. And also look, why, why should it all be about work? Why, why can't we have more of this idea of sabbaticals and, and what is the battery recharge in your career? Oh, yeah, it's an interesting difference. So it's an interesting difference. Like, you know, we all look at professional athletes and you have your favorites and they're incredible and you have your heroes and and what it tends to be for a professional athlete is, is they go really hard at whatever their sport is for a number of years. Maybe they're great for five years, 10 years. They tend to have seasons, they have off seasons. But what's it like for all of us who actually work, you know, work in, in, in business? Well, it tends to be we're sitting at a desk, we're doing something. We're gonna do it for 50 years, right? And how much of a break are we gonna have? Well, we're gonna get vacations, but it's not going to be the same level of, of rest and recovery, for example, that professional athletes have where they have months in off season, right? And, and I think it's an interesting concept, you know, for how we all get our battery recharges and need to build that in to perform well. Yeah. Well, and I also think it's interesting you talk about vacation, this battery recharge, but then also before we were talking about technology and how many people actually take vacations this, these days and age where they completely shut off from work, where they're not answering their email on their phone or even looking at it. Most people don't do that nowadays. And especially if we're talking about in small businesses, the people who are really listening to this, most of the small business owners are not taking that, that break that they should because we're in that thing of my business can't run without me, which a few episodes ago, we had Mary Beth Simone on and we talk about how to prepare your business so you can actually take a vacation. So if you're one of those people listening, nodding your head saying, yep, that's me. I haven't taken a vacation. I haven't refreshed since I started my business. Go listen to that episode. But with that, like, it just reminds me of years ago, actually it was eight years ago because uh, we, my husband and I went to the country of Panama for a vacation. And his boss is like, I need you around in case, case an emergency happens. So my husband's like, I'm bringing my laptop with me. And I'm just like, well, how's your boss going to get in touch with you to tell you that there's an emergency? And he goes, he's going to email me. I'm like, you're not checking your email all the time. And I was just like, and this being years ago, we didn't have international plans on our cell phone. 
we just like, I was like, as soon as we get on that airplane, we are turning our cell phones off and we're not turning them back on until we're entering the US again. And I was like, so we can't even get in touch with you through your phone. So I was like, unless he calls the hotel, you're never going to know that there's an emergency. And I'm like, and you're a software developer on a team that's not on a live project where all of a sudden you're, there's this release that something can go wrong and there's really an emergency. I was like, no, you're not bringing your computer. We're taking a vacation. And we took a real vacation. Good for you. I, yep. my, my, uh, one of my rules is that um, over the Christmas holidays and New Year's, uh, I stop all work and I don't do any email and I also don't do any business reading. Normally I'm like reading everything, Wall Street Journal and Financial Times and everything. And so I stop all of that. And one year it was in January and I had my first call of the year with a big executive CEO of a really big company. And, you know, talking about how was your vacation? How was your vacation? Now this is somebody with so many resources, hundreds of people around him and, you know, so many personal assistants and blah, blah, blah. We're like, how was your break? And I said, it was fantastic because, you know, for two weeks, I totally detached from all of work. So it was this real kind of battery recharge and it was wonderful. And he said, oh my God, I wish I could do that. I was thinking, you of all people, how could you not do that with all these resources around you? And, and by the way, we're at a time of year where if anybody gives you a free pass, it's going to be them. It's not like you're taking off some time. And, and I found that interesting because it probably speaks to the wiring of, of most people, which is, it isn't just our children, you know, this, you, you know, what, what is epidemic in the world? Uh, inattention. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, but I'm all for it. Take those breaks. It's part of the reason for me, like when I started my business, the number one thing that I was like, I'm doing was I went out and got a second cell phone for my business. So when I'm not working, I don't see my work email. I don't get work texts. I don't get work calls because I know I have that cell phone that I leave in the office or I turn off or like I'm not disturbed on my personal cell phone by anything business related. It does mean at times I have to carry around two cell phones when I'm going out to business meetings or things like that because I have the one where the family's going to get in touch with me and then the one that, you know, is for work. But it's so nice just to be able to separate when I'm not working. And I don't have to worry about going and turning off every app and then turning it back on. It's just completely separate. That's an outstanding habit. Yes. We, yeah. we asked all of the leaders we interviewed in the book for their uh, success habits. You know, what caused them to be successful, you know, in each of these different leadership styles. But what you're describing is a great technique. Yes. I, I love it. I'm never going back to like one phone for everything. All right. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the last style, the strategist. Strategist is the leader at scale. Strategist is the, is the leader within complex or vast organization. Uh, strategist language is radically different from fixer artist and builder. Strategist, they talk about loyalty. They talk about mentoring and being mentored. They talk about cross-training. They talk about longevity within an organization. It tends to be more of rules-based leadership uh, as opposed to, for example, artist, where in the beginning it can be, you know, throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. Uh, one of the leaders we interviewed in the book, Dr. Janine Davidson, she had been the undersecretary of the Department of Defense. So we're talking about over a million people, right? Uh, 
To hear how she described that leadership role in terms of trying to influence systems of systems, you never hear that language out of fixers, artists, and builders. One of the other defining things is, is another Stephen Covey phrase, personal span of control. Fixers, artists, and builders, they tend to be within teams or running teams of five people or 10 or 50 or maybe 100. But there's a personal relationship and they all know each other and they're relying on trust to be more and more effective individually and as a team. The strategist leader does not have that uh, uh, within their ability in the larger sense because they're inside of organizations with thousands or tens of thousands of employees. So you have to, their leadership is of a different form. Yes, yes, I see that. Yeah, so I... Like I thought, I think I, even though I work with a well, my small business right now, I work with small businesses, not that large thing, but I think I identify as the strategist. It's what I assumed based on just the titles alone and where like kind of every assessment I've ever taken is like how to really put me where I know about myself and the way you describe it. I think I'm a strategist. Then you're a strategist. Yes. Yeah, the the systems, the processes, the systems within the systems. Yep, that's all me. It's like, okay, how are we going to get from here to there? And okay, let's think about, okay, if this needs to be done, what needs to get done before it? What needs to get done after it? Because it doesn't get done, even though it's one task, that one task is not isolated from the rest of everything else. Like, uh, yes, I'm a strategist. Yeah, we could have called, you know, strategist, we could have called it pilot, conductor, captain, quarterback. Um, and it's not to say that the other styles, you know, that they're not these leaders and they're not employing strategy. They are. Um, but, you know, you can you can see there's a different flavor going on with each. Right. Yeah, there definitely is. And it's kind of like like what you said, it's where you get your kind of energy, like what lights you up. Like, yeah, you can yeah. do it all. But if you take someone who's that artist and just put them in a role like that is made for a strategist they're going to feel like they're suffocating. Like, right. What, like, I, I suffocating can't Suffocating is this. actually the right word. <laughs> I'm, I'm strongly wired artist energy. Um, and, and in the book we write, it's for artist leaders, it's to your peril in some cases, because you can't stop that, that kind of creative flow. And this is part of what, you know, on teams can lead to this idea that, that that energy is renegade and uh, you know, not necessarily the best team player. But for example, my case, you know, with our company interim execs, I have to be surrounded by folks who are far better than me operationally, um, and I am. And so there, that's how you make for an effective team. One of the psychologists we interviewed for the book, he said, "You have to be spiky." And we asked him, "What do you mean spiky?" And he said, "Well, if you're looking at a piece of paper on a or on a screen." And you saw all of these hundreds of traits that people bring to their roles and, and bring to work, you know, these desirable qualities and abilities. You or I just have to be spiky in a couple different ways to be additive and accretive to a team. And, and the team isn't going to function if everyone was spiky in the exact same way. Right, right, exactly. One of the things with the modern world is, is that even the manager of that team has to be spiky. You know, it used to be in an analog world, you know, the boss or the manager could walk around like, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? That That's gone. I mean, there can be that in the friendly sense, but there's now so much metrics and technology around all of us. It includes 
it includes whoever's leading that team, which is you better be accretive. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's one of those things, like when you go went back and we were using the word like suffocating, like part of the reason I, I knew I always wanted to run my own business, even when I was in corporate, like that was a goal of mine. And it, there was these series of things that started happening right around the end that it just kind of everything pointed to like, now's, now's the time, now's the time to leave corporate. But one of the things that happened was I was in a role that really allowed me to kind of, I would say, operate in that strategist mindset. It was also kind of very collaborative. It was like, so I was learning. I was learning all this stuff about the organization to really help me really thrive as that strategist, learn so I could grow and make the right decisions. And I was changed, my team changed where it was the reporting structure in the organization. So all of a sudden I was reporting to a different leader and I really didn't know how to describe it other than I feel like all of a sudden I'm placed in this box and it was suffocating. And I think it was because I was in a position before where I was really allowed to be that strategist. And then I was placed technically with the same responsibilities, but with these other constraints where I don't think it allowed me to really operate fully as a strategist. And that was the thing. It was like, I can't always put my finger on it, but I feel like I'm in this suffocating box in my role versus two months ago when I was reporting to this other person where I felt like I had all this opportunity and stuff in front of me. So it is like one of those things like to see how like that, that suffocating can really make a big difference when someone's not able to operate in their zone of genius, even though people think that you should still be able to do it here with all these constraints I'm putting on you. You know, as you're, it's really interesting, Jamie, as you're saying this, if I could bring up one example of a extraordinary leader, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, she had been the number two, the COO at Facebook. Um, and, and she's a classic example for us of builder, builder energy, because when she joined Facebook, it was a couple hundred employees. Um, they had revenue, it was a hundred million revenue. Uh, she said when she went in, she was signing up for a five-year tour of duty, if you will. Seven years later, uh, Facebook was 70,000 employees. 70 billion in revenue. I mean, I would challenge someone to name any other builder leader in the world uh, who has done as well, you know, over the past uh, 10, 20 years. She also, though, is a cautionary example as you're talking, it's reminding me because she then stuck around for another seven years. What happened in the second half? Cambridge Analytica scandal, uh, election scandals, um, uh, the, the uh, pivot to Meadow, which I'm not sure she was all, was, was really into heart, body, and soul. She wrote a best-selling book called Lean In, and she got so many arrows in the back for having done that. And, and so I think there is a sense for all of us of, of that we have this more agency in terms of looking at our careers and, and where it is and how we're going to thrive. Yes. Yes. I, I, that's such a great example because I think it really goes to show like if you don't really know what your style is, you can stick someplace out of comfort, out of success that's being had there, but it doesn't mean you're operating in your zone of genius. Like good things can happen, but it doesn't mean it's the best for you. So it could have been one of those things that if she went on to 
find a different company to do that greatness with again, she could have been a really out there, like really happy, not spending those, those additional years at, at Facebook, now Meta, and someone else could have came in to really help them lead where they were. Yes. Yeah. You know, one of the things we, we have observed of exceptional leaders, um, we, we, we write this in the book a lot. And what I'm going to say is going to sound, it's easy to say, and it's very hard to do. Exceptional leaders reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. Ooh, and this is really hard to do early in your career, really hard. You need the job, you need the money, your family is looking at you and it's just everyone, you, you have to do that. Mm -hmm. And I get that, um, it, it's not easy. But if you look at your own journey or you look at the journey of someone who's been successful, what you see over time is that their decisions become more and more intentional and not forced. And, and that they choose A over B or C over D and, you know, you look at this word decision, and it comes from the Latin, which means to kill off. And, you know, we're living in a modern age of, of what is it? FOMO. You know, the fear of missing out, which is, oh, please, God, don't, I don't have to close off any option. Well, yeah, you do. Um, and, and this was what, you know, the 7,000 executives who, who've shown up on our doorstep at Interim Execs, the vast majority were not having exceptional career journeys. And the number one reason is that they were trying to be all things to all people. And it doesn't work. Yes, yes. Yeah, and like really important, like making those decisions that are are right for that your career path, but making decisions, like making a decision is progress of and of itself, like because you're making a step to do something. It reminds me of like pretty early on in my career in corporate, I was, knew I wanted to move on to something else. I was like, all right, I'm getting a little too comfortable in my position where, you know, I was, I was excelling, but I was like, I'm ready for the next challenge. And I was an account manager and my neck. And at the same time, a leadership position opened up as, a, as a sales position. And I worked with the sales team all the time. So I was like, I know what that's like. And I've been told like, you'll be good at sales. You should come over and join our team. So I was just like, Ooh, sales. I'm like, I see what these contracts are that our sales teams are selling. I can, I know what the commission level is. So I pretty much know what they're walking away with at the end of the day in their paycheck. And Ooh, that would be nice. But then I sat there, I said, but I also want to go the leadership path. So it's like, what do I do? And like, at first I was like, I'll just apply to both and have someone else decide where I should be. And then I was like, well, how's that going to look? If I am asked the question, I see that you applied for a sales position and a leadership position at the exact same time. What do you want? Do you even know what you want? I'm like, I need to be able to answer that question of like, why would I apply for both at the same time? Other than I'm just ready to get out of my current position. I'm ready for the next challenge. So when I sat down and thought about it, I decided sales was not for me because I knew, like I said before, like I always knew I wanted to run my own business. And I kind of now in my mind's completely skipping the phase that you start as a small business where sometimes it's just yourself and you have to do everything. I was just like, I can always hire someone to sell. I'm never going to hire someone to be the leader of my business. Like I want to be CEO. So I need to learn the leadership skills and what it means to be on the leadership team and things like that. So I was like, that's where I need to be in order to get to where I want to go long-term. And 
And yeah, I kind of wish once I started my own business that I had learned some of the sales skills too, but I was able to go and like take some classes and, and learn that part of business. But it really was making that decision based on what was right for me, not necessarily just what, what was easier in front of me in the moment. You're so right. And, and this is what you're describing is what everybody, what we all need to do to have a successful career, which is there's this you know, they call it the still small voice. You, you, you have to be able to hear that for your own self to figure out what, what your highest and best use is. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, lo I love all that. And yes, 100%. All right. I feel like we could go on and on and on. I know we've only scratched the surface of things that we wanted to talk about today, but we are getting towards the end of our time. So we're going to have to start wrapping things up. And I think we've already shared like so many good nuggets, Bob, you've shared so much valuable information about these leadership styles. So let's, let's tell everybody how people can get in touch with you. Thanks, Jamie. I can be reached at interimexecs.com. All right. So of course that link will be in the show notes over at growingyourteam.com. And my final question, Bob, that I love to ask everybody is we've all had leaders or managers that have stood out to us, whether in our personal life or even in our professional life. Think of a leader or manager that has stood out to you and share with us one thing about them. Oh, that is such a great question. I, I, I had a coach a uh, guy named Jim Camp, um, and and he was wonderful. He was a negotiation coach, and uh, we ended up um, as business partners. Uh, and and I helped him publish his book. It became a bestseller in negotiation called Start with No. Jim Camp was was kind of fundamental in my life, and and a lot of other people um, in terms of uh, helping them become better at business. And I think the biggest reason is because everyone may have whatever thoughts they have about negotiation, but Jim's first point was you have to understand your, your own mission and purpose. And that really helped, helped me to kind of get my North star. Yes. I love that. Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. Understand your own mission and purpose. So you can understand the paths you need to be on, the decisions you need to make, the companies that you should be working with as small business owners, even what you, what you should be doing within your own business. You know, you don't want, you, just because something seems easy, you don't want to be go taking your business down a path that doesn't align with you because you're not going to be happy with that in the long run. So, yes. So I love it. All right, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thanks, Jamie. And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss new episodes. And if your favorite podcast app has the ability, leave a review and let us know what you love about the show. As you wait for the next episode, be sure to follow Growing Your Team on Instagram at growingyourteam or head on over to growingyourteam.com to access more resources and learn how growing your team can support you as you master the art of hiring.